here I go again on my own. Are you there, Yar? How you doing? Welcome to Thursday's programme. It's exactly five o'clock. It is the 29th of April 2021. So it is, be Jesus. I'm Richie Allen, and this is uh, your programme, so tweet at BBG Richie over the next couple of hours. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. Like a drifter, I was born to walk alone. We listen to a lot of 80s music today while I've been working. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Now, you've probably been reading today on my website or elsewhere that Pastor John Sherwood, a 75-year-old Christian pastor, was arrested in Oxbridge in London last Friday and spent a night in prison for doing what? Nothing wrong, really. He was reading the Bible. Somebody Somebody reported him, said he was homophobic. He was arrested and he was detained. I've spoken with John today. He'll be on with me live at 5.30 or thereabouts. John Sherwood joins the programme. And David Curtin, of course, London Assembly member. You know all about David. Heritage Party leader running for the Mayor of London next week. David will return to the programme in the second hour. We'll have lots to talk about, of course. And I've just told you already, but it bears repeating. You can join in via Twitter. Thursday's programme with me... Your BBG, Richie Allen, live from Salford, where it's been a nice day, but it's been a bit cold. It's been a bit chilly, so it has today. But anyway, sure, look, look, once tis dry, ah, God be with, God be with the cliches of our grandfathers and, and aunts and uncles. Asher, tis fine, fair to Midland. Ah, tis lovely. Asher, once it's dry, you don't care, you know, and all this sort of crack and all of that. What did I do now? I've lost something there, have I? Have I lost something? I have lost something. This is funny. Oh, there it is. There it is. I make a little thing with bullet points so I don't forget to say things that I need to say and I just couldn't find it there for a moment. Yes, the curtain was nearly pulled back on this charade that I call a radio programme. Anyway, did you see the picture of Hancock and Van Tam? <laughs> did you see it? I should give you their full titles. Matt Hancock is the Health Secretary. Jonathan Van Tam is the country's Deputy Chief Medical Officer. So Hancock um, got the first dose of his vaccine today, allegedly, allegedly. And it happened at London Science Museum. The little prick. It didn't seem to hurt Hancock too much. Boom, boom. Van Tam did the pricking. A prick pricking a prick. Is that a first for science? I have no idea. It might be. Now, I say allegedly because how can we be sure You wags, you, you scallies. I've been watching you on Twitter. You don't believe that the injection was real. I think the injection was real. I saw a different angle on the Telegraph's website. I think he definitely had a sharp, needly thing injected into his arm. Now, was it a coronavirus vaccine? I couldn't say. How the heck would I know? I don't know. But anyway, it's all the news this afternoon. Some people are wondering how Matt Hancock managed to get it so quickly, seeing as yesterday afternoon he was bragging about getting his text. I was quick, got his text yesterday and arranged to meet with JVT at the Science Museum today to be photographed and for it to be documented for posterity. Matt Hancock vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You can tweet me if you want and tell me I'm wrong. 
uh, that it wasn't a real a real syringe. It looked fairly real to me. But what was in it? Well, anybody's guess. Saline solution? Mm, don't know. Crack cocaine? Don't know. I have no idea. It might have been saline. It might have been something else. I don't know. Do you really think Matt Hancock is that high up in the organisation, in the firm, that they'd want to protect him? I'm not sure. I don't know. I like to say I don't know. It's a good way to be. Don't be so certain of things you don't know for sure. On to the preacher. This is a fairly shocking and chilling story, isn't it? You've been reading about this 71-year-old Christian pastor. John Sherwood is reading from the Bible outside Uxbridge Station in London when he was arrested and forcibly dragged off to the cells, kept him overnight under the Public Order Act. It's a disgrace. I described it as chilling. It's incredibly chilling. Somebody flagged down a police patrol car, apparently, and made the allegations against the gentleman. And, well, it's made the news today. I invited him on. He'll be with us in about 25 minutes to tell his own story. Doesn't matter what you think about gay marriage. Doesn't matter if you disagree with John Sherwood. It doesn't matter. It is dreadful to see this sort of thing happening. And I've been talking about this for years now, how the police are taking up the policing of public attitudes rather than policing, proper policing. And this is of their own volition as well. It's important to keep this in mind. There isn't any statutory legislation. Nothing is supporting this. These are police forces taking it on themselves to approach the public concerning a, an attitude that you might have or an opinion. I'm not laughing because I find it funny now. I'm incredulous. We'll talk to John Sherwood soon. Anything you might have to say on that, you can do. Uh, You can get through to me on Twitter. David says, Richie, the only... I can't read that, David. I should, shouldn't I, really, but I won't. I'm in enough trouble as it is. Uh, I'll go on. David says, the only prick Matt has had in him is Uncle Bill's. There you are. There you are. Uh, hi to Gail. How you doing, Gail? Hi to William, to you and Cooper. Uh, let me scroll on down. Chris says, from a different angle, eh? Uh, from the grassy knoll, it looked like Craig Charles doing the injecting. Craig Charles? Who the hell is Craig Charles? The actor, do you mean the actor? No, the video I saw on the Telegraph clearly, to me, showed the guy being injected with something. What? What? Again, I have no idea. And I really don't care, to be honest. Willie Nelson is 88 today. Happy birthday, Willie. Scottish John there in Austin in Texas. That's Willie Nelson country right there. Happy birthday, Willie. Proper legend there. Right, let's move on then. Let's move right on. And talk about this just for a moment, right? Just for a moment. I've been thinking ignorance is bliss. Now, for years, producing and broadcasting programmes like this, for years I've encountered people like you, And we have mused on, we have reflected on, and we've talked a lot about our friends, our neighbours, our fellow countrymen and women, and why they seem oblivious to the things that we notice and the things we talk about. And for years we said they were brainwashed. Okay? We said they were brainwashed. And we accused them of cognitive dissonance, or we called them sheep, or we called them sheeple. When I think the reality is more complicated than that. And I've changed my tune a bit this last 12 months. Not so much because I never saw people as sheeple or sheep. And brainwashing is just too simplistic for me. 
it was always too simplistic for me. I think the reality as to why people don't tune into the things that we do, and I don't mean programmes, but tune into the reality, is a bit more complicated. For most people, I believe, and I've come to believe this in the last 12 months, the routine is the barrier. Not stubbornness, the routine. Keep that in mind now. And think about the fact that so many people in the last 12 months have worked from home, have worked to their own schedule, and maybe have had a little bit more free time than they would when they were going to and from the office. Okay? They didn't have the commute in the morning, didn't have the commute in the evening, right? So the routine for me is the barrier. Not stubbornness, not being obtuse, not being sheeple. Right, the routine over the years. Get up, get the kids ready, take the dog for a walk if you have one, eat a breakfast if you can, rush off to a job that's a means to an end, a job that might not inspire you at all. The commute's a nightmare, right? You do it, you come back, another nightmare commute, you eat dinner, you play with the children, you help them with schoolwork, watch an hour of telly, take the dog for a poo, come back in, fall asleep, drag yourself to bed, and for many, sex is a distant memory. At six o'clock the following morning, it begins again. That's Monday to Friday, right? So weekends, you take the kids to their sports or to see their grandparents, you might take a drive on a Sunday, you are knackered all the time. Couple of bottles of wine on Saturday, maybe another couple of bottles on Sunday. There's no time to question anything. There never was any time to question anything, let alone to take a hard look at something. And you don't need to because you're, you're middle income. You're not getting rich, but you're not poor. You're comfortable, you're getting by. You get a couple of holidays a year. You have no reason to be suspicious of authority because authority has never come knocking at your door. For me, that's the more complex reason why people have not tuned into the things we've tuned into. A little bit more complex. It's not obtuse behaviour. It's not entirely being brainwashed by the media. But then something like this happens. Something like this happens, right? And it happens and it coincides with them being at home a bit more. And it has shaken many people. It will have shaken many people. We've heard from them on this programme. Look at my Twitter thing. Look at how many people recently have said, cheers Richie or whatever. I found you in the last month, three months or six months. That never happened before. The show has always had a big audience, but I never got so many messages from people saying, I just found you. Just found you. Uh, didn't think I'd be listening to something like this. So, no doubt, it's made many people think, being at home, and maybe for a few, it pulled the curtain back and they might have just gotten a glimpse of the agenda. Right? Curtain's gone back briefly. Jesus, is that really going on? Scary. And that throws up the obvious question. Should I do something? Should I do something about it? Can I do something about that? What are the implications for me? And then, will it make it, will it make any difference anyway? That's a very scary thing. I know this to be true, because I went through this when I realised what was going on back in the very early noughties. Wow, what can I do? Is it going to have consequences for me? Maybe I shouldn't do anything. 
Maybe I'll pretend that it's not happening and bury my head in the sand and get on with my twice annual holidays and get on with my going to the pub every weekend and doing the mad routine during the week. Now, I didn't choose that uh, path and you didn't choose that path, but many do. Many do. And many of them prefer, would prefer, that they hadn't looked behind the curtain even momentarily. Jesus, I wish I hadn't looked behind the curtain. I was better off not knowing this stuff. Better off going through the routine. The illusion. David Icke has called it the illusion. Better off with the illusion. And I want to play you a little bit of audio. It's from the film The Matrix. And I'm going to make a complete balls now of setting up this clip. But if you haven't seen the film The Matrix, The Matrix is set in a world where human beings are enslaved by machines. And human beings are kept in this technological nightmarish situation. They are stored in pods. And the machines use human beings as a power source, like a battery. But the human beings are alive. And they're not aware of what's going on because their brains are plugged into the matrix. So they are sleeping in the real world, in pods run by machines, but they are dreaming the world that we're in now. Okay? This is the illusion. But there are a few thousand people living outside the Matrix and not hooked up to the machines. And they spend the film series, the film trilogy, fighting the machines. But in the second Matrix movie, one of the human beings who's outside the Matrix is fed up and he wishes that he didn't know the truth and he feels that life is miserable and he would prefer to be plugged back into the Matrix. His character is played by a brilliant actor called Joe Pantoliano. I think I've said that right. The character is Cypher. So he goes back into the Matrix to bargain with the machines to ask can he be re-plugged back in in return for betraying the human's who are living outside it. And if he betrays the humans, will they plug him back in and give him a cushy life in the Matrix, make him an actor or somebody famous or somebody wealthy? Listen to the exchange. The first voice you will hear is Agent Smith. He's a program working for the machines. Do we have a deal, Mr. Reagan? You know, I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? Ignorance is bliss. Then we have a deal. I don't want to remember nothing. Nothing. You understand? And I want to be rich. You know, someone important. Like an actor. Whatever you want, Mr. Reagan. Okay. And get my body back in a power plant. Reinsert me into the Matrix. 
I'll get you what you want. It's an incredible scene. It's the most important scene in the film, in the trilogy. So this is Reagan, but his name to his friends outside the Matrix, his name is Cypher. And the real world is a post-apocalyptic scorched earth landscape where a few thousand humans are living underground, emerging periodically to fight the machines that have enslaved them. This guy wishes to hell that he'd never been unplugged, that the illusion is better than the reality. So he trades his friends, or tries to anyway, in return for being plugged back into the Matrix, where he speaks to the machines and says, give me a a nice job and I don't want to remember anything. And I think a lot of that is going on right now. There are people across this country, across the, 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 the country of Ireland, the island of Ireland, and around Europe, who before March 2020, March 2020, hadn't a clue as to what was really going on in this world. But not because they were lazy, not because they were brainwashed, not because they were obtuse or because they had cognitive dissonance. They had no time. Life was organised for them to, to, to preclude them, to deny them the possibility, to deny them the oxygen to see what was going on and to engage with it. And many of those who are realising it now will take the Reagan or Cypher, C-Y-P-H-E-R, will take that approach to it. They will say, okay, well, I'm just going to take the vaccine and I'll wear the mask wearing, I'll, I'll wear the mask and I'll carry the passport if it gets me somehow close to or if it brings me in some proximity to the life that we had pre-March 2020. And that's the reality. I, I see that all the time. I've had emails from people who say they wish they hadn't seen it. They wish they didn't know this. They can't cope with it. They don't know what to do about it. You know, anyway, I just thought I'd chat about that briefly. 18 minutes it is past five o'clock. Yeah, Joe Pantoliano. He played Ralph Cifaretto in The Sopranos, which for me is my favourite television show of all time. And he was sensationally brilliant in that as well. He was in The Fugitive as well. And he was in Momentum with Guy Pearce back in 2000. Great, great actor. It's a really brilliant scene. It, 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 it's a fantastic metaphor for what's going on in the world right now. Yeah, I'd rather not know, to be honest. I'd rather you didn't tell me. Uh, plug me back in. Plug me back in so long as I can go to the pub at the weekend. So long as I can go on holiday. I'll take your vaccine. Plug me back in. Put me back to sleep. And um, I'm not going to judge any man, woman or child for that attitude. You know, we, we, we've all been there. Judging people doesn't get us anywhere. Right, let's move on because there's very interesting things going on today. Care homes. Now, care homes. Lovely interview on the BBC Radio 4 World at One programme with a guy called Mike Padgham. Now, Mike is from the Independent Care Group, which represents care providers in York and North Yorkshire. I wonder, does our friend Dean Smith know who Mike Padgham is? Dean runs a care home in Sheffield. And he's a great guy, Dean. Anyway, Mike Padgham went on BBC Radio 4's World at One to say that his care homes were already taking people out on day trips, even though that is in breach of government guidelines. We're doing it anyway, he said, because by not doing it, we're violating the human rights 
of the senior citizens in those care homes. I thought it was great to hear him. It's only 60 seconds. Mike Padgham, who's um, determined that senior citizens should be left out of care homes to get fresh air, to be out in the sun and to, to, to see a bit of the world, even though the government says they shouldn't be doing that right now. Here he is, Mike Padgham, on BBC Radio 4 this lunchtime. The government could say, if you want to go and do a trip out, for example, in a minibus, with the people already living in your home, and you're not going to get out or meet other people, then I can't see why that can't happen straight away. And that, and that can happen today, tomorrow. We don't need to wait for weeks or more guidance on it. Life is full of risks. Older people deserve to take a few risks as well. And I think their quality of life and freedom is very, very important. How do you manage it in your care homes? We have already started trips out for people who don't get out on the minibus, who don't meet other people. We're using our common sense approach. We don't want to wait for the government just in case something goes wrong later in the year and people have to be uh, isolated again. They've all been vaccinated. The staff have all been vaccinated. There's no risk in that, in my view. It's very, very low. But strictly speaking, that's not allowed under the guidance, is it? No, no. I've taken the risk in the best interest of the residents because I fear from insurance, a lot of providers are worried about this, if something does go wrong, who's going to stand behind us? We want the government to say, if you do take a few risks, we indemnify you if someone wants to take illegal action against you. But I think we've got to watch people's human rights as well. Who are we to say you can't go out and enjoy yourself? They're seeing the rest of the country enjoying a bit of uh, freedom as a lockdown eases. And I think they want to be treated the same. Absolutely. Who are we to say they can't go out and enjoy themselves? Who are we to breach their human rights? We can't keep people locked up in care homes. Uh, telling them that they can't go outside because there's a virus out there that they might catch. Very, very good. Uh, hi to Chris Morell. How you doing, Chris? Whose dad is in a care home. Uh, I, I, I want to take him out, but I can't. But I'm taking my clients for journeys to coffee shops, says Chris, but I can't take my dad out. I'm sorry to hear that, Chris. That can't be easy. Mad Monk says, Richie, when you see the truth for the first time, it's very confusing and frightening. You do feel very let down by the society you were raised in. You do question yourself, but slowly more truth follows and you learn to live a life of trying not to support this false structure. That's a good comment, a good point, mate. Hi to Pirate Roberts, hi to Charlie Stevenson. Thanks, Charlie. It's a very good analogy. It is the cipher syndrome in the Matrix. You know, I'd rather I didn't know. Plug me back in. And a lot of people feel that. You know, even people that have been alive to the agenda for many years sometimes go through that. I, I, I told you back in November last year, I had a wobble and I thought about not doing any more programmes like this programme. Yeah, I wasn't going to jack in radio, but I was just going to stop news analysis, news reporting and do something completely different. I was looking at doing podcasts around sport and, and stuff like that and other interests I have. Honestly, I had a wobble. And for a moment, I had that that feeling. I wish I didn't know this stuff. Life would be easier, Inf you know, infinitely easier if I didn't know. But, um, but that's just a wobble for a moment. And then you slap yourself across the face and you say, don't be stupid. You know, don't be stupid. Of course, you don't want to be asleep again or, or, or unaware of it. You know, live with it, deal with it, grow up, um, you know, behave yourself, get on with it and prepare your next program. And, and that's it, you know. Okay, right, uh, 23 minutes past. We better hurry on uh, quickly. Hurry up even quickly. Hurry up quickly. We better hurry up. This was interesting uh, from the website today. And uh, I was watching Good Morning Britain this morning. I was glad I caught this. I don't know if you saw it, but um, there's a school in Birmingham, in the Midlands in Birmingham. And it's a well-known school. It's been in the news 
a few times over the years. It's got a head teacher called Sarah Hewitt Clarkson, and she's a bit controversial. It was um, announced when it was revealed today that in the school, children as young as three are being asked to contemplate sexist language and to, to discuss sexist language and to think about sexist language. Okay, this is the um, Anderton Park Primary School in Moseley in Birmingham. And apparently the children are given posters. And if during a lesson, one of the teachers utters a sexist or misogynistic phrase, the students are encouraged to put the poster up to, to, to say, hey, that's sexist, you shouldn't be saying that. It's bizarre stuff, really. Uh, phrases like grow a pair, man up, let's go, guys. But even boys and girls shouldn't be said, apparently. So this woman, Sarah Hewitt-Clarkson, went on Good Morning Britain today. And first of all, she was asked, why is addressing a group of boys and girls as boys and girls inappropriate? Here's the head teacher. Yeah, let's just fast forward a little bit for when the children get a bit older, just to see why this is so important, um, because it's a tiny part of a huge jigsaw. Uh, we've seen in the last year the biggest ever rise in, in child abuse, in um, grooming, for example. And if our boys and girls grow up and in school, we don't challenge these kind of sexist language. And boys are told, man up, grow up hair, don't cry, boys don't cry. It's very, very damaging for them. And, and abusers later on, potentially in life, or bullies in school, or people they walk past on the way home to on, on the way home from school, will also use this fear. And fear is the biggest weapon that abusers have. And if boys are told, boys aren't afraid, boys don't get scared, boys don't talk about their feelings, then where are they going to go when they are afraid? They are afraid and they are afraid. I think, I think that um, over the last sort of, I say, 10 or 15 years, and my, I've got boys that are teenagers mm. now, I think that things like that, phrases like that, are being phased out. Phrases like man up yep. or boys don't cry, boys don't play with, with dolls, boys don't wear dresses, yeah. all that sort of stuff. But the idea that using a phrase like boys and girls mm -hmm. as good morning boys and girls to a class that has boys and girls in, can you just explain the yeah. issue around that specifically? Yeah, sure. I mean, that is absolutely tiny. And, and of course, we use the words boys and girls. But 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 it's just a, if you just think about it for a minute, it's a, it's a slightly strange way of dividing a group of people and, and just. Good morning, everyone. It's far more inclusive. And there, there may be a couple of children in schools who actually don't really identify with being a boy or a girl. So good morning, everyone. It's just a far um, more inclusive way of saying everyone, instead of choosing a division that is, is one particular characteristic of your of your person, there are nine protected characteristics in law. Um, and, and it, you, you know, you wouldn't divide a room in a different way. So it's just a tight, it's not banned. It's just, you know, it's just a way of greeting people. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, that, that is just far more inclusive. Yeah, it's far more inclusive. I don't need to say anything about her. You've heard it all before, haven't you? It's the Richie Allen Radio Show. It is live as usual from uh, Super Salford in the northwest of the UK. The 29th of April 2021. Pastor John. Shh. What's he? Sherwood, that's right. God, Richie. Pastor John Sherwood is next. John, how are you? Yes, is that Richie? It Richie is, Allen? it is, and, and we are live, John. Thanks for coming back to me. How are you? Uh, yes, by God's grace, I'm well. We've been preaching in um, central London today. You've been busy today, haven't you? And I know you've... We've, been, we've been busy preaching in, um, in the Marble Arch near uh, Speaker's Corner. I don't know if you know that in Manchester. 
I know it well. Near, uh, yeah, I know it well. I, I spent some time in there. Corner is one of the bastions of free speech that still remains in this country. So we're very glad to be able to do that. Absolutely. And I know you've been busy doing fielding interviews and calls today, so thanks for spending some of your time with us. John, what happened last... Yes, I'm fr- sorry to miss your calls, um, because I, I, I was, my phone was in the pocket and I was... Um, Don't worry about I, it. I missed your three calls. Sorry about that. Not at all. Live radio is full of peril, John, but we, we somehow managed to get through uh, day, day in, day out. Well done. Not at all. T- tell us about last Friday. You were doing what you always do, you were preaching the gospel in Uxbridge Station in London, and then all of a sudden you were surrounded by police officers. What happened, John? It is a it is a, a venue that we've been to. Um, we normally go there every two weeks or so, and uh, the people there are quite used to us being there. In fact, uh, the police also, usually they pass by and they don't uh, say anything or they just nod in a approval sometimes um, but uh, I, I've been a minister of religion for 35 years now in a local church in London in North London and uh, I was just uh, going about my business uh, I, th- I think as you know during the COVID uh, during the um, the COVID um, p- p- pestilence that we've actually the churches are still uh, able to meet together, so we have been continuing, you know, doing what the Lord calls us to do, which is to preach the gospel both in the church building and in the open air as well. Um, so that's what we were doing with a number of helpers on Friday last, just gone by, and um, I, I think there must have been some complaints uh, for the police to actually have come there in the first place. And uh, so they they came up and spoke to me. Um, now, I was preaching at the time, and I said, uh, please don't disturb me because um, I'm preaching the gospel, uh, which is my my lawful right to do. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's uh, you know, we do have the, the right to express ourselves on whatever subject. And uh, I was preaching on from the Holy Bible, from Genesis chapter 1, Uh, verses 26 to 28 and 30 to 31 about God creating man and woman in his image, male and female, and how God told them to be fruitful and multiply. And so I was talking about the husband and wife relationship and children and the beauty of the family. And uh, it was construed, I think, by some as as being homophobic, although I never mentioned anything about homosexuals or uh, people of the same sex. I did say that two men cannot biologically reproduce, nor can two women. So that, you know, to have a family, you must have a, a father and a mother. Um, so that that was the long and the short of it. Nothing controversial uh, there, John. Nothing too controversial there as far as I'm concerned. But somebody yeah. took somebody took umbrage to that, and the police came and arrested you. That that astonishes me. I mean, I've seen some of the footage. You're a very you seem to be a very genial, gentle man. Um, why they felt the need to arrest you is beyond me. What what did they say to you exactly? Um, 
Well, they they said that we've had some complaints and um, and that you've been using uh, a language to cause harassment, alarm, and distress. And I said, well, I've just been preaching from the Bible. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't cause harassment, alarm, or distress. And uh, so they said, well, it's, it's, it's offending people. And um, I, I said, well, man's sin offends God, you know. If you say to a, um, a thief, thou shalt not steal, or to a, an adulterer, thou shalt not commit adultery, that's offensive to the adulterer, but it's still the commandments of God. And so, you know, that's what I was maintaining, the, what, what God says, yeah. and, and how man has offended God, and the need for man to repent of his sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Savior, the only Savior of the world, who actually said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So that's what I was doing. I was preaching the gospel, as we always do, and we go to these different venues, and um, they they chose to apprehend me. Which is ama- um, which is amazing. It's obvious to me that you weren't targeting any one group of people. It's not like you went to a gay no. man or a gay woman and stood in front of them and were chastising them. You were just doing what you normally do. Can I ask you, John? Well, can can they I did ask? ask me that in the yeah. police interview? They did actually say. Um, you know, what was your intention for going there? Was it because it's a place where a lot of public pass by? And I said, our intention for going there was to see people saved from sin, uh, spared from the wrath to come. Um, I said the, the greatest hate crime that anybody could commit would be not to warn people of hell. If you know people are going to hell, it's like a person's house being on fire, you'd pull them out. Um, and I, I can't bear thinking of people going to hell. And the worst hate crime I could commit would be not to warn people of hell. And so it was very important for me to do that. And it is uh, in this world that we're living in. People seem to have lost their way. And, you know, there's so much fear with COVID that, that perfect love casts out fear. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Can I ask you uh, about coronavirus in a moment? Should not perish, but have everlasting life. May I ask you about coronavirus in a moment and about the church's, okay. you know, attitude yeah. with it? But before that, look, my my listeners know that I have great sympathy for you and what happened to you. They also know that I see the world a little bit differently than you do, but that doesn't matter a jot. It does not matter. I see same-sex marriage. I see it differently to you. But I, I, I don't think that I'm a better person than you. I have great respect for you and for your sincerely held beliefs. It astonishes me that they could keep you overnight in a police station. Pastor John, how did they well, justify marriage, keeping marriage, you overnight? How did well, that they happen? They did keep me overnight, but I mean, marriage, just to make uh, just your point that you made, um, marriage was or, or an ordinance of God, it's a creation ordinance before man fell into sin. And um, I think it was David Cameron who redefined marriage uh, when he was the prime minister. You're right. So I, I, don't, I don't believe that we should redefine what God has defined. Um, so I do, I do believe, I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what I believe. Um, and I respect, as far as the I respect ar- it. The arrest is concerned, 
you you asked me a question about that. Yes, yeah, because it was reported that you were detained overnight and allowed go home the following day. Is is that true? And why did that happen? Yes. That's yes, I was detained. Disgusting. I'm disgusted. Well, why? There's no reason why they should have detained me. They didn't charge me. Um, they released me under investigation, but they didn't charge me. And I know that you were roughly kind of manhandled during the arrest and you you were a bit sore afterwards. Yes, I've got a bruise where they handcuffed me. Um, and I did mention to them to loosen the handcuffs because they were hurting me, you know. A 71-year-old um, gentleman is speaking, yeah. is is ministering to people and he's dragged away to the cells. You're injured in the process. They have no right to keep you overnight, and they do. I mentioned in an article that I wrote about this today that if I was you, and I'm not a vengeful person, I'm not, but I would be suing them for unlawful, uh, for wrongful arrest and unlawful detention. I know you're a man of God, and I know well, you'll probably turn the, the other cheek, is, but I would do it. In Paul's epistle to the Romans, he tells us to to pray for those in authority. Um, that they, they are God's ministers of righteousness. So we are to submit to them, and, and they're not a terror to the good works, but to the evil. Uh, and that's why we, we hold them in esteem. We, I mean, they're under the crown, and they're there to keep law and order. Uh, they're there for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of them that do well. So... Actually, I, I, I believe that it's important that we have uh, law and order because if there's rebellion in the world, then the world would just go crazy. And so there's got, we've got to have... I mean, God is a God of order. He's ordered the days of the week, seven-day week. He's ordered the seasons of the year, summer, winter, seed time, harvest, cold, heat, uh, day and night. They, they won't cease. They've always been and they will always be. Uh, so there's no climate change. There's no, there's no dramatic changes taking place. Things continue as they've always continued. And, um, and so basically, you know, we do believe in order and I have no vindictiveness towards the police at all. Um, you know, I, I, I may, I mean, perhaps sometimes you get uh, one sort of hot-blooded person um, I don't know why he was particularly, uh, particularly, uh, you know, as he was towards me. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, the, the Lord says, love your enemies, forgive them, uh, pray for those who persecute you, bless those who curse you. So um, I'm not, I don't have any vindictiveness as you, Richie. Yeah, well, well, I do, I do, um, Pastor, and, and I'll tell you why. I don't want to see people lose their jobs. I don't want to see people go hungry. Of course I don't. I'm not a practicing Christian, but I like to think I have something of the Christian spirit inside me. But I do, I don't want to see this continue to happen. I respect the people with whom I disagree. I recognize sincerity and goodness. Yes. And I recognize goodness in you and sincerity in you. And I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to you know, patronize you or take the moral high ground. It should not be allowed that anybody can be arrested and detained because they are expressing a sincerely held belief. I think it's a terrible thing. Now, can I ask you about something else if you don't mind? And I know you're I, busy. I, got, I won't keep you too I, much I've longer. 
I've got a couple of homosexual friends. Yes, I've got to go very soon. And I'm well aware of that. So let me ask you one more question. I've got a couple of homosexual friends. They are homosexuals, okay? Yeah. And one of them gave me his poncho and, uh, and said, from sinner to saint. But you see, I, I have nothing against these people. I, you know, people seem to think that we're homophobic or we're against homosexuals. Uh, there's nothing of that nature at all. Um, I was asked in a police interview, which had nothing to do with the incident, what, what if your children were homosexuals? I said, well, I would still love my children because they're my children, yeah, yeah. no matter what their persuasion was. But obviously I'd seek to win them to Christ and so that they might be saved, you know? Yeah. Saved from sin. And and look, we won't get into that today because I again I see things I don't agree with that, but that doesn't matter. Can I ask you one question before we yeah. before we part company? I, I've really got to. Go I know because, um, it's on the I'm COVID gonna get, thing. I've got a prayer meeting at seven o'clock, and you've got to prepare I've got to get for that. The car first. Can I ask you very yeah. quick, thirty seconds then? I'll, I'll just walk along as I'm talking to you. Thanks, John. Thirty seconds. Why hasn't the church, and I mean the Christian church in totality, why hasn't it done more? to stand up uh, against the very, tyranny... That, that is a very good question. The tyranny of the and COVID do you know, regulations. Do you, do you know, we were preaching in a town outside London uh, recently, and a, an atheist woman actually came up and said, why hasn't the church led the way in this coronavirus and everything else? And we agreed with her. You know, why has, what's, what's happened to the church? The church seems to have capitulated and compromised, and that is very sad. And, and my, my whole prayer and hope through all this is that ministers would start preaching the gospel, get out on the streets, get their churches out on the streets to give people hope uh, that this is, not the end of the, this is not the end of everything, but they can have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. That's what he came to do. He came to pay the penalty for, for our sins by his death on the cross and rise from the dead to give us Hope in a world to come. Uh, and this is what the message needs to get out to people. So, because there's a lot of depressed people about it. Yeah. A lot of very, very sad people about it. And so they need, they need that hope in the resurrection of the dead. Thanks, yeah. for, thanks for coming on today. It'll be lovely in the future when you've got a bit more time to get you back on so we can get into some right, of these issues. You. Lovely yeah. to meet you today. Okay. I'm sorry what happened to you. Every blessing to you. And you too, sir, and to your uh, congregation as Thank well. You. Thank you. Bye for now. That was uh, Pastor John Sherwood live on Thursday's Richie Allen radio show. Uh, really interesting gentleman. I knew the time would be short because of his own commitments and because he's done a dozen or more radio interviews this afternoon, but he was detained overnight in a police station on Friday because he was preaching the gospel in Uxbridge. And I disagree with him on homosexuality being a sin. I disagree with him on same-sex marriage. I don't say those things to virtue signal. I've got some opinions that gay people don't like. I'm not at all fond of gay, of same-sex couples adopting, and, 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 and that's another issue for another day. But I want to say this, by the way, and I, I was going to say it too, Pastor John, until we came to the end there, a very good friend of this programme's, and he's a good friend of mine, even though we've never met. I've mentioned him many times over the years, Andy Hunter. Lovely guy, Andy. Andy is gay, right? He's in the US at the moment, and he's just about to complete his law degree. 
Uh, more power to Andy. He's doing his final exam tomorrow. And then he'll be, he'll basically then be, he'll have his qualification. He'll pass the bar then, uh, all being well, and Andy will be a lawyer. But seeing this story in the news today, he sent me an email this morning saying that if, it, if at all possible, if it was at all possible, he'd be the first guy to take up the case of Pastor John Sherwood to defend his right to free speech, uh, to freedom of assembly, uh, to free speech, and to, to hold the opinions that he has uh, and not to be basically persecuted for holding those opinions. That was my mate Andy. Andy is gay. I, and, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's a, it's an interesting one, this, isn't it? Um, yeah, uh, he said he's not vengeful, but it's got to be stopped, this. It's happening too much. I talked about it in, in the monologue, this idea that, that has come to be, this, this, this notion that the police can monitor the attitudes or the opinions of the public. It's unacceptable. It's beyond tyranny, this. Right, we, we covered a story, didn't we, three or four years ago on this programme. We spoke to the gentleman involved. I can't remember his name. But an ex-policeman, a retired policeman, was phoned, wasn't he, by, by, by his former colleagues, by police officers who wanted to check his thinking. That's a quote. They wanted to check his thinking because he was engaged in some discussion online about what it constitutes to be a woman. Right? And he made the point that he didn't believe that you could be born in the wrong body. And that, you know, that men cannot be women. This is a point he made. And his former colleagues contacted him to, quote, check his thinking. I'm not making a mountain out of a molehill here. This is where things are going. You can't have it. You can't allow a guy to be dragged away, banged up and, and locked up overnight unlawfully. Because he was reading from the Bible. He's not running after people he perceives to be gay and screaming in their faces that, you know, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, and you're going to go to hell. He's not doing that. <laughs> and, and he's dragged away and he's locked up. Boiling, boiling. Blood was boiling reading that this morning when, when I got up. Eight minutes to six o'clock. It's time now that every one of us stood up for the rights of those with whom we most vehemently disagree. The right of, their right to say what it is they think and to feel what it is they feel. Now more than ever, stand up for the ones you totally disagree with. Totally disagree with you, but you know what? I'm not going to stand by while you get arrested and while you get held overnight in a jail because you had something to say, because you read the Bible. Pastor John Sherwood on uh, the Richie Allen radio show. Lots of comments on that. It's BBG Richie. Don't forget David Curtin will be on the programme right soon. About 10 minutes time, David will join us uh, live from London. He's standing in the mayoral election next week. Elections across the country next week here in the UK. You probably know all about that. You don't need me telling you in any case. Uh, let me drag out a tune then. I've not got one lined up typically. Let me uh, drag out a tune uh, all right, we'll go with this one then. It's the Renettes and Be My Baby, the wall of sound and all of that. Uh, exactly seven minutes to six. Go on, go on. You've watched Dirty Dancing about 25 times, haven't you? Be honest, you have. You have, you know you have. Don't be lying to me. I've watched it at least 30 times. Great film. David Curtin on soon. 
Uh, do tweet me, BBG Richie, anything you'd like me to put to David during that conversation, do so. I'll uh, get right on it. Uh, GB News has been trending uh, today on Twitter. Uh, nobody knows yet when this news channel is going to launch. Andrew Neil is heading it up. You know this new channel, Sky Channel 226 or Sky Channel 236. I have no idea. No idea um, when it's going to launch. But what has become apparent in recent days, if you are on Twitter often enough, you will come across some of those who will be fronting the programmes on GB News. And what a share of, well, what a share of insufferable bastards they are likely to be. Have you seen some of the tweets? These are presenters now, men, women, and some of them will be reporters for a new channel called GB News, which according to the Financial Times today is going to take the Fox News financial model, right? It's going to be a little bit right of centre, apparently, right? Right? Okay. Well, um, so, so some people could have been forgiven for looking forward to the launch of GB News. You might have thought, ah, great, you know. GB News, I will get a different perspective, you know. There won't be any of this woke nonsense with GB News. You'll get more of a, you know, more of a rounded picture of what's going on. Uh, no chance. First of all, look at the lineup. It couldn't be any more woke, number one. Number two, these new presenters are spending their time on Twitter lambasting anti-lockdown people lambasting anybody who asks any sensible question about whether the vaccines are safe or efficacious. I could read, I could go down my own Twitter timeline now and read some of these tweets from some of these people that are claiming to be bringing us a new news channel with a different point of view, with a different perspective on what's going on, when really it's just going to be the same old rubbish. The same old establishment, I'm not going to swear, not today. The same old establishment garbage is what it's going to be, GB News. As of yet, we don't know when this thing, uh, when this channel is going to launch. I have no idea, it could be weeks, it could be months, who knows. All right. Uh, hi to William in Scotland. A number of you have sent me biblical quotes. I'm not too well up on my Bible. Last time I read the Bible, this is gospel truth. Last time I read the Bible was in, was in, was in, where was it, Richie? Was it Kingston? No, it wasn't. Camden Lock. It was in Camden Lock at the American Hotel in Camden, the big hotel there. And I was staying there in the, in the spring of 2013, I believe. I was there to meet with the people that were going to launch the People's Voice. I was living in Spain, so I'd flown in and I stayed in Camden, and the first night was a pretty quiet night. We didn't have anything to eat collectively. We didn't have a drink. We had a meeting, and I was knackered anyway. I went back to bed and realised that I hadn't packed any uh, paperbacks to read. I need to read two or three pages before I go to the Land of Nod. I hadn't done that, and thank God there was a Gideon. There was a Gideon Bible. There was a Gideon Bible in the in the in the, the the locker in the drawer the locker drawer. So I went straight to the Book of Revelation, of course, as you do, and read the Book of Revelation. Well, I didn't read the entire Book of Revelation. I probably read two or three pages, and I drifted off. That was my last experience with uh, the Holy Bible. Yeah, yeah. 
I'll get the emails now. I'm, being, I'm not being disrespectful, you know. Not at all. Uh, by the way, for, for friends of Piers Corbyn who wonder, oh, Richie, you're having David Curtin on. What about Piers? I've invited Piers to come on with me early next week. All right, of course. I'm not going to invite David on and then not invite Piers on. Both of them have been regular guests on the programme, so we'll have Piers on next week as well. Uh, Pete is in Valencia. He says, Richie, I had a mad one in Valencia yesterday. Uh, Today, today, he says. I was asked why I was maskless. I'm exempted due to asthma, he says. I was asked by a bloke who was sitting outside a bar with his mask under his chin, smoking and drinking a beer. I know people are scared, but that took the biscuit. I've seen that. I've seen people standing around outside post offices because my my local post office is near enough to where I live. It's not too far away. I've seen people do that. I've seen people who work in a local primary school standing outside in groups smoking with the masks down around their neck. Next, it's vaudeville. It's positively vaudevillian. What are you going to do, you know? All you can do is laugh, right? All you can do is laugh. Let me just check something here while I'm chatting away with you there now, okay? Uh, by the way, um, this... Um, the Richie Allen Show is back Tuesday. That's next Tuesday because Monday is a bank holiday. But one or two of you have asked me about Sunday. Sunday is not a holiday. So I will be doing Sunday morning melodies on Sunday at 10 o'clock. I will be, of course I will be. It isn't a holiday. You with me? You with me? Okay, you with me? All right, okay. Uh, Keep the tweets coming in. BBG Richie. Uh, Jason. Hi, Jason. Angela says, Richie, I follow David uh, Curtin and I retweet his tweets. I don't live in London, uh, but recommend to anyone I know who does that they vote for him. What else can I do for David? I'd say at this stage, uh, Angela, there isn't very much really. Uh, that you can do. The election is nigh, isn't it? Marwan says, Richie, what next for David if he loses his assembly seat? Uh, Will he go back into the teaching profession where he will be required to take unconscious bias training? Says Marwan. We might get into some of that with him when he's on with me in a moment. Uh, Darren says, regarding John Sherwood, uh, thanks for that, Darren. I appreciate that. Uh, I know he did LBC radio earlier on and I think they gave him a fairly decent shake of it as well, you know. Katrina came on to say, Richie, I'm a Christian. God love Pastor John, she says, but I can't bring myself to pray for these people in authority. I can't. Bless you too and thank you for uh, doing what you do. Thanks, Katrina. I don't want any harm to come to these people, but there has to be consequences for them. I don't want people to be to lose their jobs and lose their livelihoods. Uh, and to, to end up homeless. You know, they'll have wives and husbands and they'll have children. But we can't allow people to be arrested and locked up because they are speaking about their sincerely held beliefs. We just can't tolerate it. Because if you tolerate this, then not only your children, but you'll be next. You'll be next. How long before they arrest people for... For, for, for speaking to groups of people about vaccine injuries. How long before they're dragged off to the cells because they're in breach of the Public Order Act? It's no joke, you know, this stuff. It's, it's deadly serious. And, uh, and it seems to be ramping up. BBG Richie on Twitter. Hi to Daniel Breen. Daniel, I don't want to get into that sort of thing. I never do that when I interview people. You know, David Curtin is not going to, he's not going to be speaking ill of Lawrence Fox or, or, or anybody else. I know where you're going, but I don't get into that. You know, what do you think of him and what do you think of him? 
David's own ideas about how things should be and how things should be run, that's really all I'm concerned with, really. I reached out to Lawrence Fox, Mr. Free Speech himself, but Lawrence Fox wouldn't dare come on this radio programme because of what might be said about him in the press if he did. Not exactly uh, the courage of your convictions, is it really? You know? But anyway, look, I don't judge, like I said, you know. Matt in Massachusetts says, Richie, I'm starting to think they will turn the India thing into COVID-21 and start this all over again, says Matt. Yes, the UK broadcast media has filled its programmes today with more claims about dead bodies piling up in India, about lack of oxygen, about aid coming from the UK. It's uh, it's a movie. I'm, I'm not saying it's a movie. I'm not saying that it's it's... I don't know what's really going on in India. I don't. We heard from Himanshi, who doesn't live too far from Delhi, on the programme the other night. She said it's being exaggerated and bodies are not piling up. There isn't a a huge uh, problem. You know, the government isn't in meltdown. Hospitals are not in meltdown, said Himanshi. That's her opinion. I don't know what's going on. Will they use the threat of what's going on in India? Excuse me. Will they use the the images and the stories that they're spinning on the news programmes as time goes on. Like when we get to August, say late August, early September this year, at that stage will they, will they begin to claim that new variants might be deadly? We found a new variant. The, the, the double Indian mutation has mutated again and it's deadly. We might need to lock down. Yes, there is a great possibility, more than a possibility, that they will make these claims in the summer, in the autumn. I have no doubt in my mind. Look, we wrote about, we talked about, they're hiring COVID marshals on contracts to run until 2023. They've got no intentions of giving up this game. They have no intention of returning life to the way it was before March of last year. That's not conjecture. I know this because they are doing the things that contradict what they're saying. They're saying, June 21st, all these restrictions go away and we don't want to bring them back again. But they're lying. They're lying. They're bringing bringing in green passes. Uh, They want people to go about the country carrying a pass that declares themselves themselves to be vaccinated, that declares themselves to to be healthy. They want people to carry cards declaring that they've been vaccinated or else they won't be allowed to go out for a night out. They won't go to a restaurant. They won't go to a hotel. They won't go to to a theatre. These are the things they want to do. So they're lying through their teeth when they say that they don't want to go back. June 21st, everything will go away and we'll go back to the way it was. No, no chance. That's not going to happen. And um, yes, we're going to be talking about that ongoing in the next... Uh, a few weeks. Right, it's time for a tune. Uh, Here's House of a Thousand Guitars by Bruce Springsteen. When we come back from that, David Curtin uh, should be uh, with me. I hope he is. Indeed he will. He's online now, he tells me. David Curtin in, uh, let's say, four minutes' time. Richie Allen Radio Show, Thursday's programme, April 29th. There's a spot 
Bruce Springsteen and House of a Thousand Guitars on the Richie Allen Radio Show. It's exactly 10 minutes past six. Thursday's programme, last live programme of the week. I really like my next guest. I have a lot of time for him. You know he's a former school teacher, former member of UKIP. He's currently a member of the London Assembly. He founded the Heritage Party, of course, last year, and he is a candidate in the forthcoming mayoral election in London, which is next week. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the programme, David Curtin. David, thanks again for your time. Hi, Richie. Good to be here. Uh, it's lovely to see you. To see you lovely, as Bruce Forsyth might have said. I don't have a camera on my blooming computer, so you can't, ah. you can't see my big ugly mug. Before you came on, before we talk about next week, before you came on, John Sherwood, the pastor who was arrested last Friday at Uxbridge, was on. Uh, seemed like a lovely gentleman. His beliefs are sincere. And his beliefs, of course, um, uh, should be protected by, by law, by, by human rights legislation. They dragged him off to a police station and kept him for no good reason overnight because he was reading passages from the Bible. Now, David, I don't like to be melodramatic or to try and make mountains out of molehills. This is, this is tyranny. I, I can't find any other words to describe it. I don't share the pastor's views on certain things, but that's absolutely irrelevant. Human beings in this country should be able to, to assemble, they should be able to speak about their religious beliefs without the Gestapo, forgive me for saying it, coming up and, and dragging them off to a police cell. What do you think? Yeah, Richie, I totally agree with you. And I saw that and I was very disturbed by that because it seems, you know, this is happening in London, in England, in the UK. This shouldn't be happening here. It's the sort of thing you expect to happen in China or North Korea. You know, you've got a Christian uh, who's speaking from the Bible. You know, I would agree with a lot of what he says. Some people wouldn't. But that's beside the point. As you say, we're supposed to have freedom of speech in this country, freedom of religious belief. Um, and were you know freedom of protest, whatever. You should be allowed to do this. He wasn't causing anyone any harm. He was just simply speaking uh, from the Bible and in a public place uh, where everyone goes. And I saw how he was dragged off his chair, roughly manhandled. His hands were put behind his back, handcuffed, taken off to a police station overnight, treated like a common criminal. And then he was released without charge the next day. So, you know, they, they knew that they hadn't done anything wrong. He hadn't committed a crime. He hadn't broken the law. But yet he was treated like this, you know. And this is not the first instance that this has happened. I mean, I um, represented... Uh, Oluwole um, Ilesamni, another uh, street preacher who was arrested a couple of years ago in Southgate for a similar thing. Someone um, complained about what he was saying. Police came along, arrested him, drove him out into the countryside, into the middle of nowhere, dumped him by the side of the road and de-arrested him. And, you know, the, the result of that is he got some compensation for being wrongfully treated by the police. But they don't seem to have learned their lesson from that case two years ago. And here we have another case uh, in Uxbridge just this week. It's tyranny and it's terrible. Have you noticed the development of something? I, I was listening to talk radio last week and I think Julia Hartley Brewer was chatting with, I think, Peter Fay. We, we say Fahi in Ireland, but you say Fay over here. And I think Peter was a top police officer up here in Manchester. And he said that he's concerned that this trend towards trying to police public attitudes Where's that come from, David? Because it, it obviously hasn't come from legislation, or at least any that I can find. Where do police officers get the, the gumption to think that they can go around minding what people think? Well, it comes from this concept of hate crime. 
isn't it, where uh, we have two-tier policing uh, because of hate crime, or, or the, the idea, which actually in a way comes from the Equality Act 2010, that there are certain protected characteristics. And if you have a protected characteristic, then you will get fast tracking justice. So if, you, if you're a victim of a crime, it's taken more seriously if you have a protected characteristic. Um, the, 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 the perpetrator of a crime will get a, an uplift in their sentence. They're supposed to prioritize um, those crimes. Uh, and if you're the perpetrator of a crime with a protected characteristic, sometimes uh, you will get you know, a smack on the wrist and you won't be treated as severely and harshly as if you don't have a certain protected characteristic. So, you know, in this case, you have um, a Christian street preacher. Someone complained he was being homophobic. So you've got, um, you know, the, the sexual orientation, you know, homosexual sexual orientation is a protected characteristic. So if someone complains that you've done something homophobic or Islamophobic or transphobic, then that's considered a hate crime. And the police then deal with that as a priority. Uh, and they look forward to, you know, putting it on their statistics. Oh, we stopped a hate yeah, crime. Yeah. We're prosecuting a hate crime, even when it wasn't. And, and you've got this whole category uh, of non-crime hate incidents, which they've been recording for years and years and years, 120,000 or so on non-crime hate incidents where someone's complained about something, someone is said, uh, you know, maybe tweeted out on Twitter, it isn't a crime, but the police go and investigate, arrest people, charge people, then they don't get actually charged, like this um, uh, John Sherwood there, it wasn't actually a crime, but they it stays on a record. Uh, and and that can affect someone's job prospects because they they have a criminal record without having a criminal record, if you like. Um, you know, I've been calling this out for years and years. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, interestingly, just this week, Pretty Patel has said we need to get rid of non-crime hate incidents. Um, you know, she's she's um, years behind what I've been saying, but you know, it's the Conservative Party uh, have presided over this, you know, as well as um, Tony Blair's Labour Party, and they've done nothing about it for for. 10 years. Uh, but this is where it's coming from. And, and, and this is what's created this kind of culture. It's a great point you made there. I mean, Pastor John, I don't know if he's into sports, but if, if he decided that he wanted to volunteer and look after the under 14th football team in his local um, parish or his local area, somebody did a background check on him. He's not committed any crime, but it will show up that, you know, that he's on the record as being homophobic. This is dreadful. Do you believe, Patel, you're, you're quite right to say that it, it, this has gone on under the mm. Tories' watch since 2010. Blair, it began under Blair, of course. When she says that she wants to eliminate this, do you believe her or is it electioneering? I think it's electioneering. I mean, look at the timing of this. I don't believe it at all. But, you know, this is what the Tories do every single election. Um, for a, a two or three weeks, they actually start sounding conservative yeah. <laughs> and saying what they should be doing all the time. The moment the election's gone over, uh, you know, then they just revert to, to normal and to, you know, um, being basically Labour light uh, and you're doing exactly the same as what, what Tony Blair would have done. So, no, I don't believe this at all. I mean, you've got to look at Pretty Patel's record. I mean, another issue which is big is immigration. You know, she's talked about being tough on immigration again and again and again. Uh, but 
the boats are still coming across the channel and absolutely nothing has happened. So uh, I don't believe Pretty Patel when she talks tough. Uh, you know, she's, she's all talk and no action. Very good. And on the immigration issue, you and I talked about this before. I'm 46 now. My politics were always on the left. I don't have any politics now, thank God. But they used to be on the left. And, you know, my the people I admired when I was much, much younger... There were trade unionists who used to warn about the dangers of unlimited immigration, what it would mean for, you know, semi-skilled or unskilled people. I tell you something, David, it's my belief, the disaster of lockdown and what's that, what, what that will do for employment numbers. It's going to plunge, obviously, millions of people into unemployment. And when immigration continues, you'll find that the lefties who would like to take pot shots at people like you for asking fair questions about immigration... They're going to be queuing up to be on your side in the next two or three years. You know, when the jobs become even more scarce and there's even more people trying to get those jobs, there's no doubt about that. Tell me what it's meant for you the last uh, few weeks campaigning in this crazy, you know, COVID lockdown time. Uh, Hostings, I suppose, all of that has gone by the wayside or it's different. Zoom meetings, what has it been like? It's been bizarre, I imagine. It's been very strange because it just hasn't been normal, you know. I mean, this is the first um, election we've, you know, had under this COVID lockdown stuff. And, you know, for the first um, uh, weeks up until the beginning of March, we weren't even supposed to go and put leaflets through doors. I mean, that was uh, technically illegal. You could have got into trouble and been fined by the police just for putting a leaflet through someone's doors. Now, that changed at the beginning of March. So we have been out a bit. But, you know, we, we can't actually do anything inside. I can't have a press conference. I can't have a meeting uh, with a team in a building, you know, so everything has to be done outside. So I did a sort of launch um, in Speaker's Corner because that was one of the only places we could go, gather a crowd because they could come and watch. But that was only very recently. I couldn't do that at the beginning of the campaign. I had to do that sort of halfway through because, um, you know, there weren't sort of people coming out then. And also it's cold, you know, so if you can't meet inside... um, people aren't going to come and gather and meet you outside if it's cold so you know we're very much at a disadvantage but you know this does favor the big parties who have got a big infrastructure they've got lots of data they can do phone banks and call lots of people i mean i haven't got anyone's phone numbers you know because i'm you know a, a new party i'm in the heritage party we we just launched the party six months ago so i don't have like you know hundreds of years of um you know data and and contacts being built up. So, you know, the smaller parties are are disadvantaged by the system. So, you know, it's another example of where, you know, the big big organisations are benefiting from this um, at the detriment of everybody else. Yeah, I can't argue with that. And what about getting the opportunity to to debate the incumbent, uh, Sadiq Khan? Has that been afforded to you? No. That's no, disgraceful, it's isn't it? That's disgraceful. You know, as far as I know, there's been two television debates on the, the two big television channels. There's been another radio debate um, on, a, on a sort of radio station uh, that's well known. So three three mayoral debates that I've heard of. Uh, two of them have only had two candidates in them, you know, that's Sadiq Khan and Sean Bailey, the Tory. One of them had four candidates 
who they they decide they're going to call them the major ones, you know, the the Tory, uh, the Labour, Lib Dem and Green. But there's 20 candidates in this um, election going on at the moment. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of the 16 that hasn't been divide, invited to any of, of the debates going on at all. So, you know, it's been absolutely terrible that, you know, the mainstream um, big television stations, big radio stations have, you know, tried to um, spin it so that, you know, I'm I'm not platformed. Essentially, I'm being no platformed by not being invited to the debate. Can you help me uh, understand this now? I started on radio in Ireland in the late 1990s. I quickly moved into producing uh, the flagship mid-morning talk programme. When elections came around, we were under extreme pressure to make sure that everybody got the same amount of airtime. Not on any given day, but over the entire campaign. And we were scrutinised by the Broadcasting Authority in Ireland. It didn't matter if it was... Now, you're well known. You're a London Assembly member. You are a well-known gentleman, right? Uh, so I'm not talking about you now. But, but we would have to give... We would have to give them um, equal airtime to the to the crazy candidates, and by crazy, I say that with a lot of love. You know the the, the mouthpiece who's not a member of any party, the independent guy, and he's single issue, and he just wants to do it for the crack. We had to make sure, David, that those guys were given interviews and were given equal time. And I learned that that was a proper that was proper order. That's the way it should be. Now you're not some independent Mickey Mouse guy that nobody's ever heard of. You're a London Assembly member. Why are you not protected? Why isn't there Ofcom rules and regulations that the broadcasters must give you the time? Why? You, there should be. There should be. And, uh, you know, in, in terms of the debates, it's not happening because uh, they get around it by designating some people as major candidates and others as minor candidates. But that's all being done on poll ratings and the polls are notoriously um, uh, unreliable, uh, you know, and they have been for years. Um, but, you know, you get polls coming out that say, oh, this is the number one, that's the number two candidate. And on the basis of those polls, which we don't know if they're true or not, they get invited to the, to the debates and everybody else doesn't. You know, but they are doing interviews, I mean, with the, the television stations. I mean, I, I have been interviewed by BBC London. I have been interviewed by ITV London. I did an interview yesterday um, and it was very interesting because we talked about um, all the things. We talked about transport, police, crime, knife crime, cutting crime, the diversity commission, not renaming our streets, the greenbelt housing. And the one thing they chose to put in their clip was, I'm a homophobe. Oh, Jesus. Excuse me. No, I don't you mean know, to blaspheme. I mean, that's shocking, isn't it? That's yeah, disgrace. Yeah. Nothing about transport, just that. So, so you know, that that was the, the, the treatment I got from, from one of the, the big uh, mainstream television stations. You say, but, you know, that was it. They're going to give whatever, 30, 40 seconds to each candidate, um, you know, on a sort of uh, clip on their, their regional news show. So so that's it. But, you know, so I've I've had to adapt and I've had to work around it, you know. So uh, it's fantastic. You're inviting me on your show and other people have invited me on on, on different shows. We've got YouTube channels and, and so on and, and, you know, other sort of alternative um, media and get it, getting on sort of lots of places, um, it, which is fantastic, you know. And, um, you know, I'm well known in the what you could say the freedom movement at the moment, you know, because I've spoken at the Freedom Rally in Trafalgar Square in yeah. September and been on the the march last Saturday. So, so I'm known there. But you know that that's the, these kind of things don't get 
much coverage. In no, the they don't. And I was going to ask you about uh, Saturday because yeah. estimates are somewhere between three quarters of a million and a million people. And I don't think that's an exaggeration because I've seen some overhead shots and some drone footage that was taken by, by nice people who sent up drones to take some, some, some um, aerial photographs. It looked to be absolutely rammed. That must have reinvigorated you, did it, on Saturday? It was such a wonderful day. It was a beautiful day. You know, it was a lovely, lovely atmosphere. You know, I'll, I'll say that, you know, genuinely, it was it was a really beautiful day because uh, there was it was no trouble at all. It was totally peaceful when I was there, you know, marching along Oxford Street with, um, you know, I, I, I hundred thousand people plus. I mean, it may be a million. I don't know. But it's uh, it was so a lot, a lot of people anyway. And the wonderful thing is the government has been. Uh, you know, enacting basically psychological warfare on us. And they want to try to keep us atomized, isolated, away from other people, away from our support groups so that we feel alone and they can break our spirit. But you've got 100,000 plus people coming out on the street all together, all of one mind, smiling at each other, hugging each other, being with each other, just like normal human beings, like normal time. And because, you know, a lot of people have not had this for for so long, it is just a wonderful, like, joyous experience, you know, everyone being together. So I just had a wonderful, wonderful day um, you know, meeting everybody. I saw and, some and photographs I, of you. You were you were selfied about a thousand times. I saw a few pictures <laughs> on, on, like, online. Yeah, and, and you looked in great form. And uh, it is great to see that. Look, I, we we obviously don't have. To, you've got other interviews tonight. We don't have the time to go through all the issues, crime, and obviously immigration and and transport, which are obviously hugely important. But but lockdown, David. This is a lockdown election, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, really, it is, and and it, you know, I, people want to change, and uh, you know, it's the the Tories, the Conservatives are not conserving anything; they're destroying the nation. They've destroyed our civil liberties. They've destroyed hundreds of thousands of businesses. They've destroyed the fabric of our our life. Well, they're doing their best to, you, you know, and Labour have been right behind them. They haven't given any opposition. They've been, you know, if anything, wanting harsher lockdowns, more mask enforcement, bigger fines, you know, um, yeah, more, more, more measures. So people just want a change. People just want the governments and the, the pol- political parties that are imposing all these rules just to get out of their life, let people just get on and do what we always did before. So, you know, that's why I started the Heritage Party, or one of the reasons, it's not the only reason, there's many others, you know, but one of our core values there is free speech and liberty, and everyone should have um, the freedom to exercise their, their fundamental human rights, freedom to assemble, freedom to speak, uh, freedom to trade, and uh, businesses shouldn't be closed down. Uh, no one should be coerced uh, into wearing a mask with the threat of a fine or coerced into having a vaccine, which is not really a vaccine, it's an experimental um, injections of mRNA and so on that uh, are still in clinical trials. And But under threat of like, if you don't have one, you won't be able to travel. Or if you don't have one, you won't be able to go to the pub or go to the cinema or the theatre. This is absolutely wrong. It's tyrannical. And we need an end to it. And, you know, I've been speaking out against it from the beginning and uh, I've got a lot of flack and a lot of stick for it but you know what more and more people are realizing that we are actually now entering a tyranny we're already in it we're already in it you know I mean this is essentially medical fascism 
You know, that's a strong word. No, but it is. is we're it is. in. We're in medical fascism, and we've got to stand up and fight. And I hope uh, next Thursday people will actually vote to end it in the places that they can. I think you could get. You know, look, you you can't bullshit a bullshitter. I'm not saying you're you're not a bullshitter. I'm a bullshitter. I'm a radio presenter. It's what we do uh, a lot of the time. Uh, I hope not so much these days. But look, it's going to be difficult for you because all the odds are stacked against you. But I think, I think you'll get a very big protest vote. I really do believe that. Uh, I, I believe Piers might as well. I think you'll do better, uh, undoubtedly. Um, he'll be on with me next week to give him a chance to, to put his case as well. But I know you spent many years teaching and the chemistry. I made a faux pas last time we spoke. I forgot that. And, and I called you a businessman. Uh, what, I, what I meant to say then was that obviously through your UKIP connections and through your, your, your um, various candidacies over the years, you've obviously met a lot of businessmen and women. They must be apoplectic at the Tories and Labour. And they must be saying to you, what's going on? You know, why do they persist with these uh, policies that are destroying not just the economy, but any chance that we have of saving our businesses? I heard the 10,000 pubs, David, even if they opened up tomorrow fully with service inside, 10,000 are still going to go under this year. You must be hearing this all the time from business people. I am. Uh, I am. And it's, it's appalling and it, it's shocking and, and um, it shouldn't be happening. But but it is. And, and uh, you know, small businesses, medium sized businesses are suffering immensely. But big business, they love it. Big business loves it. You know, the, the sort of Amazons and the, and the so on, they're making more money because they're taking up market share as the small and medium sized businesses go under. I mean, so this all looks like, a, you know, a big scam to transfer wealth from the, the little guy and the small business to the biggest of big businesses. But, you know, we, we need we need an end. And, you know, it's. Um, it's we, we it's taken us a year to get here and you know it's the longer we go on the longer it is going to take to get back to normal i mean it, 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 it's sort of it, it's likely to take about the same time to recover as uh, it has to get into the the hole we've got into so you know even if we we start right now and we say we're going to open everything up again end all the restrictions yes some people would bounce back quite quickly it be because of their situation and their sex but other people would take an awful lot longer uh, to bounce back because, you know, so, some things have just gone. You know, some businesses yeah. are already closed down and uh, are not coming back. So um, I hear this all the time. And, you know, I, I've been to a lot of markets um, out and about in London and everyone I speak to uh, just wants a change. They're not going to vote Tory. They're not going to vote Labour. They're going to vote for a change. And, you know, I, I've had the best reception um, I've ever had going out on, on the campaign trail in London um, this year because, you know, I'm wearing uh, a different uh, rosette, Heritage Party yeah. rosette, uh, different colours, and people are like, yeah, we love this. Um, this is something new. We need a change. They see my leaflet. This is great. Common sense. And, uh, you know, a lot of people know who I am from five years of questioning to the yeah. cop. Um, who's got a terrible record as mayor as well. So, I, you know, it's going to be difficult. I'm hoping for a change. I hope at least I get back on the London Assembly. Um, I was going to say that. At the very least, yeah, you know, I hope you get back uh, into the Assembly. The, the positions you, you've held on the right to have an opinion, the right to free speech, those 
predated coronavirus. You've been consistent with your opinions for years. And I just want to say to listeners, if listeners think that I'm not giving David enough of a hard time on, on this free speech thing, David Curtin has never advocated that you should have the right to run up to a trans a gender person and scream in their face that they're not a man or they're not a woman. He's not. He's not for any of that. We're not talk. We're talking about having a belief that you know men can't be women and that women's spaces need to be protected and that we shouldn't change the language. If David Curtin advocated running after people on the street and harassing them, I would put that to him. But he's never advocated any of that. You haven't. Um, you, you advocate the rights of every man and woman to believe what they believe and to be respected for their beliefs, as long as they're not, you know, imposing or impeding on anybody else. And, you know, I say amen to that. Because I do, whenever you come on I, afterwards, people say, oh, you should have gone after him, Richie. I'm like, well, <laughs> g- give me something where I can go after him. Because I love an argument, David. I've had plenty of them on this show over the years, but I, I can't find anything that, you know, too disagreeable in, um, in, in, what, you, uh, in what you stand for. But, um, yeah, it'll be an interesting night, won't it, next week? And, and then on mm-hmm. Friday to see what happens. The Heritage Party, do you want to give some uh, website addresses or anywhere people should go to find out more? Because people can join the party, uh, whether yeah. it's before or after the election. So over to you then, where should they go? Yeah, you can do. Um, so heritageparty.org, please have a look there. You can read our manifesto there. Uh, you can join, you can volunteer, donate and and, and find out more uh, about us there. And then I've got I've got my own personal website, which is more at the moment um, geared towards the London elections. So that's davidcurtain.net. But um, yeah, heritageparty.org is the one for uh, our party. Good luck next week. And you know that when all is said and done, these issues are not going away. And your voice is an interesting and I think an important one. So come back anytime you want for a natter. I always love it. And like I said again, all the best um, next week, David. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Richie. Cheers. All the best for now. That was David Curtin, the founder of the Heritage Party, standing for mayor. He's a member of the London Assembly. And uh, as he said, at the least, let's hope he gets back on the Assembly. But let's hope he causes a few uh, shockwaves next week, next uh, week when the election takes place. Thanks to David for that. Uh, Right. um, On that, on pubs and stuff, I should have have pulled the fader down there, shouldn't I? That was a mistake. (laughs) That was a mistake. It's like the Carlsberg Complaints Department with the phone and the dusty windows and the cobwebs. I don't make too many mistakes. I make plenty. Uh, Jean Anne's been on to me. She's in Connemara in Cleggan, where a a local pub is a massive part of the community. A massive part. And I know this. I know this because uh, it's, it's only last weekend. I mentioned this is not an advertisement now. I'm not getting anything out of it. And I shouldn't do this. If I was on commercial radio, I wouldn't be allowed to do this. But because I'm not, I can say whatever I bloody well like. I went to uh, Moberly in Cheshire with uh, her indoors last Saturday, specifically because the landlady of the pub, The Railway Inn, Laura, was on the programme a few weeks ago talking about the impact that lockdown has had on her business and on the industry. And she was very, very good and very interesting. And I wanted to meet her. So we went out there on Saturday. We took, I talked about this on, on Sunday morning melodies. We went out, so we took the dog on a beautiful country walk, worked up an appetite, and we came back to the pub. And we hadn't. Now, we'd been away. We'd been away in, in, in the Lake District. And we were lucky enough to find a, a pub in the Lake District where we could sit down without any of this nonsense. You know, you have to do this and you have to do that. Temperature checks, all this crap. 
So, so we had that. But on Saturday, I got a real sense of what I'd been missing, more so than when I was in the lakes on Saturday in Cheshire. Because the, the, the pub is a, is a great thing. The pub is not about going and getting pissed right up. The pub is about sitting down for a few hours, taking in the, uh, the, the, the ambiance, chatting with people around you, laughing at the kids running around in the beer garden, having a bit of lunch and just being in the company of people and listening to people and getting some opinions, getting the news as it were. It's massive and it's been such a big part of, of my life. Pubs have been. You know, one of my first jobs was in a pub, collecting glasses, running around, collecting glasses, listening to the music the DJ was playing. You know, going back in there on Sunday afternoons to watch the football on the big screen or the hurling or the Gaelic football and meeting your mates and your friends and your neighbours. Massive, massive thing. And 10,000 pubs are expected to go under. Come what may. Even if things were to, you know, if all of this was to go away and tomorrow pubs open up again, they would be, it would be too late for 10,000 pubs in, in this country. And I don't have the vocabulary to describe the damage that's going to do to communities and to people's lives. Because the pub is everything. It's dominoes for the people who play dominoes. It's uh, card schools. It's, it's bridge for people who play bridge. Uh, it's, uh, it's sponsoring the local young boys and girls soccer teams and hurling teams. It's a source of information in the community. I, I know this. I've been in pubs at every level. I've been a punter. I've worked uh, as, a, as, a, as a glass boy, as a glass washer. I, I worked behind the bar. I DJed in great big disco bars and pubs. I can't imagine life without a pub, to be honest. And Saturday last was the first time proper in over a year that I was able to sit down in a pub. I know it's not a local pub. It's a pub five or six or eight or nine miles away. I don't know how many miles away it is. But um, I got that sense of that sense of loving it, being there, but also that sense of loss if it was to disappear, if pubs were eventually to become a thing of the past. Here's Oasis. Here's Oasis. Oasis and Don't Look Back in Anger on the Richie Allen Radio Show. Quarter to seven o'clock. Pub, the pub was always the hub of the small village, says Jean Anne. It makes a very good point. Somewhere where we, where we could all meet easily and well. And living on your own, as so many oldies do, hugely important. And now there's massive deprivation all around. And Jean Anne believes it was uh, utterly calculated and deliberate. The plan being keep those hearts apart. First uh, base, first port of call for the psychopaths. Keep people apart. I um, I grew up in Ballybeg. And when, this is in Waterford, and when I was 12, 11 in fact, 11 I think, my family moved to Belvedere Drive on Browns Road. And some years later, I worked at, 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 uh, at Paddy Brown's pub on Browns Road. Paddy Brown's pub on Browns Road, and that pub was managed by a lovely gentleman called Paddy Murphy. And I was in school with uh, his son, Stuart. We were in the same class. Lovely guy. He had a brother called Trevor, who worked there as well, and Shane, I think. 
I hope the family is well now. The Murphys, lovely people. And I worked in Paddy Brown's pub when I was, you know, kind of just getting into, I was at, um, I was at uni. I was also doing um, various courses, technical courses, uh, practical courses in, you know, working equipment, uh, mixing desks and stuff like that. I was doing all of this to, to get into, uh, to get into radio. And I worked in this pub in Paddy Brown's, which is a proper, proper community pub. And I took whatever hours I could get there. And I've always been observant. And I remember thinking, what an amazing place this is, this pub. You know, every other night of the week, there was a group of people in the pub meeting. You know, various groups of people, various societies. And uh, there was always stuff going on. And sandwiches would be made up by all you know, complimentary, made up by us, the staff, working on duty. And everybody knew everybody else in the community. You know, you had people working in, coming in there to have a couple of beers and have their meetings, charities, local charities, good charities now, genuine ones that were doing stuff for, for poor people. Because where Paddy Brown's pub, Paddy Brown's pub was situated in Liz Duggan, and you had um, Paddy Begg not too far away where, where I grew up initially. You had Largeville, you had Lismore Park, you had Liz Duggan. Upwardly mobile, you could say, but there was poverty in pockets. There were people who didn't have very much at all, really. And the, the, the pub, you would see people in the pub, people coming in doing stuff for those people, organising things for those people, you know, organising trips for children who, whose family maybe couldn't afford to send them on trips. And, and all sorts of things, and then, as I said, then you had the you had the card groups, the bridge people would meet on a, on a certain night, and I was really taken, you know, I was taken in by all of this, observing it and how important it was. I suppose I didn't realise then just how bloody important it really was that we had this in in the village, you know. I didn't live in a village, but I suppose it was a village of sorts. Liz Duggan, I suppose you could say, is a village of sorts in Waterford City, and I don't know how these places are doing now. Because I've not been home for many, many years, but I wonder about it. How are these places? Paddy Brown's pub, you know, what used to be the Park Inn, which was a pub across the road, you know, uh, the Fair Green Inn in Ballybeg, uh, and then, you know, other pubs in the area run by families and people that were well known. How are they getting on now? Because they've been forced to close their doors and send their staff home for most of the last 12 months. How are they getting on? And I, like Jinan, believe this is part of an agenda. I believe it's evil incarnate. I can't even imagine it, really. I try to imagine it. What's behind this? And maybe I don't really need to, to know or to see exactly what it is that's behind this thing. But, but I'm beginning to think it's not human, whatever it is. Yes, human characters are moving the pieces around the chessboard and seemingly are seemingly making the decisions. Seemingly. I'm not sure they are, but I don't know. It sounds all very esoteric now. And I'm not prone to the esoteric. Although lately, lately, you know, I'm, a, I, I, I'm beginning to open myself up a bit more to various possibilities. Of course it's evil what's happening. And don't believe them, it's not going to end in June. Not by any stretch of the imagination. It might appear in June and in July that it is easing up a bit. But no, come the mid to late autumn, come... Excuse me, come mid to late summer, come early autumn, it's going to be back again and it's going to be back on steroids again. You know, the mask wearing, the, the distancing, 
But more importantly, the vaccines and the passports and the tracking and all of that, that's here to stay if they get their way. That is. It's here to stay. No doubt about it. You saw Matt Hancock yesterday. I had a bit of a meltdown during the monologue yesterday. You saw Hancock. We've already got in 60 million doses. Booster shots. Booster shots for people this coming autumn because we're worried about variants and uh, and such like. It doesn't matter that the statistics make a mockery of this goon, this fool, this omadon, this wretched wanker. Makes a complete fool of him. The, the, the document, the data. The data says there is no coronavirus. Now, if there ever was, and I don't know, I'm open-minded. I, I, I'm prepared to believe that there has been a, a virus of some sorts. I'm prepared to believe that. Because I, I make a point of not making you know, proclamations about things that I don't know anything about. I don't do that. Never, it pisses some of you off. Oh, Richie, why don't you just uh, admit there's never been any coronavirus? Because I don't know. I don't know that to be true. If I did know that to be true, I would say that's the case. What I have done is I have platformed people who have said that. That's the best I can do as a journalist. You know, it's platformed them. But I don't know that it's not real. Like I said, I'm open-minded. Um, whatever it was, it didn't touch the vast majority of people. Didn't touch us. Never brushed us. Never came anywhere near us. Its mortality rate is laughable. It's so low. Even senior citizens with comorbidities are still incredibly unlikely to pass away if they get this thing. So the data makes a mockery of it. And yet it goes on and on and on and on. And it's the media, the media, the media, the media, the media. I go back to what I said to you weeks ago. The media could end it in an hour. In an hour. It only takes a journalist and it, 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 it can't just be anybody. It's got to be one of the heavyweights. It's got to be one of the heavyweights. It's got to be Kunzberg, Peston, Jon Snow, who's leaving Channel 4 News. That I'm not going to swear. Channel 4 News put out a question today, put out a, a statement today, basically proclaiming Jon Snow to be some sort of doyen of journalism, some great champion of the people who spent his life getting stuck into authority. What absolute bollocks that is. Jon Snow, another establishment shill, just like Peston and Kunzberg and Beth Rigby and Kay Burley and Stephen Dixon. They're all the fucking same, all of them, every one of them. But one of these heavyweights could end this in five minutes. And I've explained it before, it's that easy. And that is you get Chris Whitty or Patrick Valance on a programme and you take them to the cleaners. It only takes one. And you take them apart. You take them apart on the science. You take them apart on their own links to the big pharmaceutical companies who gain financially, at the very least, from the rollout of the vaccines. At the least. Valance and his shares in Glaxo. Witty. Jonathan Van Tam and his links to the industries. You take them apart at the knees. It's that easy. I've done it in my career, taking people apart. I didn't take any pleasure in it, but... It's a very simple thing to do. Five minutes, it's all over. An hour. But um, the media is not going to do it. As wonderful as 
marching in London is. And believe me when I say I support it. That's not going to change anything either. It's going to take more than that. It really is. It's going to take a lot more than that. It's going to take people in small communities, people on streets to come together to say we're not going to carry on living like this anymore. That's what it's going to take. You know, it really is. It's going to take the small businessmen and women that David Curtin spoke about saying, fuck no, I'm not going to close down my business. Fuck no, I'm not going to separate people and tell people you've got to stick to your own table and you've got to wear a mask when you go to the toilet. Absolutely fucking no. I'm not going to do that. You tyrants. That's what it's going to take. Genuine disobedience. Courage. Heart. Balls. Lose the fear. Lose the fear. Lose the fear of what they might say to you. Lose the fear of what they might say about you. And do it anyway. That's what it's going to take in the coming weeks and months. Is there time? I don't know. I was in a bad place some months ago and I thought, there's no chance. Now I don't know. Maybe there is time. Maybe there's time. Maybe what's coming in the late summer, early autumn will shake enough people. Maybe poverty. Impending poverty. Financial ruin, maybe. Will motivate enough people to say enough is enough now. No. But I would say to any businessman or woman listening to this, my plea to you would be, in the short term, do not, do not comply with the government's request that you operate a vaccine passport system in your premises. Do not. Do not agree to it. Do not go along with it. If enough of you say absolutely no chance, there isn't anything they can do. Be brave. Be strong. No, we will not operate a vaccine passport system. We will not impose into the private lives of our customers and our clients and ask that they prove to us that they've had a medical procedure. No fucking way will we do that. Be brave enough to say that. Have the heart, as I said. Have the courage. History will look at you fondly and you'll be surprised at how well you'll do When you show that courage and that commitment, you'll be surprised at how many people come and visit your establishment. I believe it. That's it from me for today. Thanks so much to Pastor John Sherwood for his time earlier on. And of course to Heritage Party founder David Curtin. I'll be back with you again on the programme on Tuesday. Monday's a bank holiday, Tuesday. But I'll see you before then on Sunday morning. Sunday Morning Melodies is live at 10 o'clock as it usually is. So I'll see you there. Have a fantastic weekend and take care of yourselves and one another. It's bye from me.